0: There is a Redeemer. Amen. Jesus, God's own Son. Perfect Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, Amy. What a blessing. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Have you been encouraged? I hope up until this point you your heart's been enriched. I hope you're just ready now to just open the Word and, and be in it. It's our desire, really, to do those things that saints have done since Christ set up the church, to read His Word publicly, to... Spend time in prayer to worship in Him, singing to worship Him in giving, and to worship Him now in the study and the application of His Word. If you have a little one that you'd like to be in children's church through grade four, they can be dismissed at this time. Just follow the herd out the door. Make sure you remember to pick them up at the end, all right? And we'd love to minister to your child in that way, or you can keep them with you. That's perfectly fine too. I'd like to invite you, if you would, to turn in your copy of God's Word to First Corinthians chapter 12. Will you do that? First Corinthians chapter 12. Bring it a little bit up here, John. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're in a continuing study, if you're new with us, God's plan for a healthy church, as we work our way through the the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Conduct in the church is our focus, particularly spiritual gifts, as Paul has now given his attention to these things in the church. It's a joy to do this again now, to be in the Word. I'm excited about the time that we're going to spend here. If you're new with us this morning, we're going to be picking up in verse 9, and that will be our beginning of our study today. We're just in the middle of the study of spiritual gifts. Jack and Dorinda Schumann live in Southern Oregon. Over the last 40 years, they've put together one of the finest collections of instruments in the country and one of the largest and most unique collections of instruments in the world. In the late 60s, Schumann began his graduate studies at the University of London. While in Europe, he visited many flea markets, auctions, antique shows throughout Britain, Germany, regularly added to his collection. Up until just recently, of course, the collection was held privately. What would of course have been a wonderful thing would have been to allow several hundred musicians to sit down, tune them up, and play them all at the same time. A musical instrument was made to make music, not to sit in storage on the shelves of a climate-controlled environment. But the dream of musicians around the world has actually become the reality for Southern Oregon University. Jack Schumann has decided to make his collection available, and has now for a number of years, for music students and faculty to play and use in the study of music history. And I think as we look at spiritual gifts, we continue in the study of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that the church tends to be like that private collection, a lot of beautiful, unique, one-of-a-kind instruments sitting around waiting to be played, and only a small percentage of them actually making any music. The church can have its own museum collection, if you will. It's sad to think about, really, because we need each other so much, but in verse Verses 1-4, through we've begun to see Paul lay the foundation for an understanding of spiritual gifts, particularly that the church is the body of Christ, the habitation of God through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in the church, and discerning believers in Corinth have contacted Paul and are wondering what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit actually at work in the church, work in the lives of believers. So Paul gives the church some important guidelines. As pagans, they had been under the control of demons. They had, had fellowship with demons during their festivals, which we saw in chapter 10, verse 20. And those demons had deluded them with idolatrous worship and a supernatural display of a so-called deity amongst their myths, and so this is what they're used to. And no doubt, these demons were still active, you know, creeping in amongst the Christians, pretending to be the Spirit of God, forging manifestations in the church that Paul is addressing. And we know it was like that then. It continues to be like that now, seducing spirits doctrines of demons are just as active and perhaps i could propose to you more so in the church now as we uh, race towards the end of time uh, than they were in the first century satan transforms himself into an angel of light second corinthians eleven fourteen 14 tells us he imitates he produces certain manifestations as he was obviously doing among the believers there in corinth and so paul has to bring these topics then to task and to give them some instruction again about what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be at work. So Paul says, listen, you're gonna be able to tell what's actually spiritual and what is an imitation for two reasons, because if it's real, it won't be like your worship was in the false tabernacle. It won't be ecstatic speech, it's, going to, it's not gonna be out of your mind types of experiences like it was in pagan worship. And you'll also be able to tell from the content of the message, listen to what is said, you'll be able to tell who's at work. Satan and the demons never draw attention to Jesus as Lord. So it's a false manifestation, you're not going to hear anything about Jesus' lordship, you're not going to hear anything about Christ himself as Savior. The work of the Holy Spirit will always be to exalt Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit's at work, Jesus is being glorified, the Spirit doesn't even speak about himself. As a matter of fact, he just sets up uh, and glorifies Christ, gives the saints a chance to glorify the Lord, giving him the right place. Whereas on the other, other side, false manifestations of the Spirit do the opposite, and they draw attention to men. And so Paul just gives them some general outlines as they begin to see what's going on in the church. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, for them not to be surprised. Look there, if you would, in your copy of God's Word. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, and you can find that in the seat in front of you, around you. Or just be in your copy, though, Do you read and, and you study and you memorize, and we'll just give you verse cues. We'll stay together. Verse 4 says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7, But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now mark this. The gift bestowed upon one member is for the whole body. All are to profit by it. The possession, of, now this is very important, the possession of a gift makes the believer a debtor to the other members of, of the body of Christ. Make sure you catch that, beloved. You all are in possession of a gift. And as we understand Paul's instruction, as you are in a possession of a spiritual gift, that makes you a debtor to the other members of Christ. And Paul names nine gifts by the same Spirit here in this passage of God's Word. And we saw last time that we could divide these gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts that we pulled from First Peter chapter four, and we can also divide them further into temporary sign gifts and permanent edifying gifts. Now, last time we moved moved along quite rapidly, and a number of you came back to me and said, "Hey, we missed that." Uh, that definition of temporary or assigned gifts. So I actually printed that, and some of you made the suggestion that we just print it in the notes. So it's there in the notes there with you, so you don't have to copy that down rapidly. But temporary or assigned gifts are gifts that were given to confirm the testimony of the apostles and the prophets and as assigned to the Jews. These gifts are referred to as temporary, and as such, then, they were prevalent in the early church but ceased to be evident as the church became established. They're also referred to as sign gifts. So I just put temporary slash sign gifts. And when we say sign gifts, they were visible signs then that had been prophesied that would reveal the Jewish rejection of the Messiah. And they were visible verifications. They were signs, if you will, that attested to the salvation of the Gentiles and confirmed their acceptance into the church. So temporary sign gifts, one of the categories that we're dividing these spiritual gifts into. And you can see, and I gave you a lot of background last time, you can look that back up. Online. I'll give you some more today that can help you get your feet under you get a foundation there where you can stand and understand that perhaps uh, you've you've grasped this concept of why these things are, are so we also saw uh, th- these gifts of the Spirit uh, are also included in permanent edifying gifts so you have on one hand you've got speaking gifts then you have serving gifts and then on again divided temporary sign gifts and permanent edifying gifts now permanent edifying gifts we saw a, very, a lot shorter definition Permanent edifying gifts are gifts the Spirit gave for the building up of the church. Uh, We gave a list of them, as we did with temporary sign gifts, some illustrations, definitions to help identify them. And these gifts were prevalent in the early church and are still in the church today. And so as we work our way through, just kind of track along with us, and and I think that you'll be able to see why we're kind of lining it up this way. So starting at verse 8, Paul writes, and read there with me if you would. He says, for to one, verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Verse 10, and to another the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another the distinguishing of spirits and to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but to one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now remember that each member of the body of Christ, as we see the gifts at work, as you begin to look at these uh, spiritual gifts, you begin to see them, and those that are uh, permanent edifying gifts, those that are temporary sign gifts, but particularly the permanent edifying gifts, as you see these gifts, just remember that each member of the body is commanded to minister in many of these gifted areas, whether they possess that particular gift or not. And now I'm not going to name every area where you're commanded to minister in a gift, but as you read through the New Testament, uh, you can start marking those things where it says, do these certain things. And you realize that as we work through the spiritual gifts, some of those are actual spiritual gifts given to a particular individual to edify the church. But in particular, we saw all Christians are to function in the following areas, we're supposed to function in faith. 2 Corinthians 5 7, we're told to walk by faith. Wisdom, uh, all Corinthians, all believers are, just, are to function in wisdom. James 1 5, we're told to ask God for wisdom. We're, told to seek out wisdom, knowledge, you're supposed to function there, 2 Timothy 2.15, in accurately handling the word of truth. So a broad knowledge of the word is your responsibility, even though it may not be the spiritual gift that you have that benefits the church, but it is your responsibility to minister in these areas. Uh, exhortation, at Hebrews 10.25, encourage one another or exhort one another to assemble together. So it, it actually says to not Forsake the assembling of the selves together as a matter of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching. So you're supposed to exhort one another to be together in the church when the church meets. You're supposed to function inside the gifted area of giving, whether or not you have that specific spiritual gift. Second Corinthians nine seven says each one is to pur- uh, purpose in his heart to give cheerfully and be ready to meet immediate needs. Each one, even though you may not be gifted particularly in that specific area. You're told by the, the word to minister there. And care for one another, and this is all over the place. Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so that gift of help is supposed to be at work in you, uh, even though uh, that may not be your specific gifted area where the Holy Spirit has particularly gifted you to minister to the church. So as we look at these gifts today now, once again, just kind of laying some foundation. Uh, today and the next time, people sometimes wonder, well, what, what is my gift? And, and that's a common thing to wonder. And so, and you may not be sure, but the Bible, I would just say to you, the Bible has more to say about using your spiritual gifts than discovering your spiritual gifts. And so as we go through the gifts, think about some of these steps. And I told you I'd give these to you last time. We ran out of time and I'll leave it up there long enough that you can copy it down. But here's the thing that I think is is the best way to interact in the church. Now that you're part of the body of Christ here at Berean, how can I figure out where my giftedness is? Well, first of all, know that you're gifted. And I think the knowledge there is important that there's nobody sitting out here, don't think somehow you're being humble by saying, I'm just not gifted in any area. Because the scripture is very clear many times that you have been gifted with gifts to minister to the body of Christ. So know that you're gifted. That's a fact. It's in the accusative in most places in the scripture. Because you have gifts, or because you're gifted, then, and then it tells you what to do. So, first of all, know that you're gifted. Okay, secondly, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is just, that's just common knowledge, isn't it? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, what's it tell you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual service of worship and then be not conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds all those things we study okay but just that first thing present your body as a living sacrifice you don't belong to you anymore you belong to the lord so present your bodies as a living sacrifice and these are the correct attitudes to bring now i want to discover my gift well first of all know that your gift is secondly bring your bodies as a living sacrifice thirdly just pray for wisdom and opportunities to serve now, we try to keep you informed here at Berean. Most churches do this. But in the bulletin, you'll see a number of places where, hey, we have immediate need right now. You can look around. I'll tell you right now, we are not doing everything we could be doing or perhaps should be doing because there are members here who have spiritual gifts that aren't being used, and so that ministry isn't happening, okay? So realize that there's going to be a lot of places that we have gaps. We have gaps where we can fill up the, the spots. And so just pray for wisdom and opportunities to serve. Fourthly, Minister in the way that's commanded. Now, we just went through that with you, right? Faith, wisdom, knowledge, exhortation, giving, care for one another. Just minister in those ways for sure. And then as we saw later in Romans chapter 12, regardless of what your spiritual gifting is or what it ends up looking like, you're supposed to serve with diligence and fervency and self-sacrifice. So just give yourself to the ministry. Make it yours. Own it. Okay? When you begin to serve, just make that ministry yours and just invest yourself there. And begin to serve with, with that type of fervency, diligence, and self-sacrifice. sacrifice. And then as you, as you get on into it, then examine your heart's desires because the, the Lord will begin to excite your heart about areas of ministry where you can be involved and in, in things that he has planned for you. He's just like that, isn't he? Very personal. He wants you to be plugged in. He's designed the church so you can be plugged in. So it's just, it's just natural then for you as you begin to give yourself away now, not before you ever start. Don't say, okay, what's my heart say? But, but after you begin to give yourself away, then you begin to see the ministry needs and you begin to get that appetite for doing the Lord's will amongst his members of a church, ministering to people, examine your heart's desire. So begin to give you that direction that you need. Okay? And then seek confirmation. And I say this in two different ways. Okay? First of all, you know, if everybody says that's your gift, it probably is, because they're looking at you and saying, man, you're, you're perfect for that. And the other side is, if everybody says that isn't your gift, it probably isn't your gift. Okay? And so just you, you keep your ears open. Other believers can help sharpen you and mold you and get you plugged in. Okay, and then finally, uh, last three. Okay, look for the blessing of the Lord on the gift because he always blesses those kinds of things, doesn't he? When you invest yourself in the way he says and you find that specific ministry that begins to blossom around you, there's going to be, just like we saw early in this passage, various kinds of ministries, various kinds of effects. Okay, there's going to be some fruit from that ministry. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. So just totally abandon yourself to the use of that gift and then cultivate the gift as you see what it is. Okay, make yourself sharper in some area. Uh, just kind of look at ways that you can do it better. You know, it's just ways to go about this, all right? So uh, when you've done all of that now, beloved, here's, and we say this a lot, it may be difficult to label your gift because as we said before, the Lord gives gifts out according to his own grace in a proportion of faith. And so there may be a number of men or number of women who have very similar gifting sets, but the way that they're expressed is going to be very different. Because of the way the Lord has given the, the measure of faith to exercise it. So it may, not, it may be difficult to label exactly, okay, I have, the, I have the gift of exhortation, and I have the gift of discernment, and I have the gift of, you know, these other, you know, helps or, or mercy showing or whatever. It may be very difficult because there's a dynamic going on here, and I'll explain that. You know, some, just talking about me, sometimes preaching, sometimes teaching, sometimes exhortation, sometimes helping, sometimes evangelizing, sometimes discerning. There's, there's some things going on there, sometimes administration, sometimes helps. And and this may be very similar to you or or very different from you. You may see a dynamic going on there. And how your your gift interacts with the fruit of the Spirit is sometimes indistinguishable. Because as you allow the Word to dwell in you richly with all wisdom, you begin to see what the fruit of the Spirit is. And it begins to be clear in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control may begin to be at work in your life. And that fruit should be there. And how that's interacting with your gift set sometimes becomes this just beautiful, that's like I said before, this instrument that's crafted, unique, to be used in the church to edify the body of Christ. They'll all begin to be blended together so beautifully that you, with you that it's almost impossible to split them from you and your identity. That becomes the person Christ is making you to be. That sanctification work in your life, that forming, shaping, plugging you into ministry is just this beautiful thing. But you got to get started realizing that you are gifted, okay? Now, I think we had enough time there. Let's look at uh, verse 8, if you would. We'll just kind of move right into our new passage today. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. We saw both of these appear to be speaking gifts, and both would be, appear to be permanent edifying gifts, given to build up the church, still at work in the church today. But as we move into the passage and get past faith, which is the next one, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, What we're going to see now is we're going to see temporary sign gifts, that's healings and miracles and tongues and the interpretation of tongues, hold a less important place just by Paul's order. We'll also see the way he deals with them. We're going to see they hold a less important place. And the last being tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Because this is where Paul is dealing with problems in the Corinthian church. And if you've read ahead, you already know that this is an issue. And this, I would say, is is what they were likely seeing counterfeit displays of, if you will, because they were used to that type of manifestation of the Spirit, perhaps more than any other, in their pagan ceremonies. They were used to being the oracle of the God. They were used to seeing somebody being possessed and, being, and speaking ecstatically, if you will, in Bacchanalian feasts and whatever. Okay, And so they were used to this, this false manifestation of the gift. They saw this most often. So now when they see Pentecost happen and, and believers are speaking in a known tongue to someone else and someone's hearing the gospel... That's a very exciting gift, a very prominent gift, and so these are the places where Paul's having the most trouble. So he puts that one at the very, very end, as far as prominence goes. So as Paul writes to the church, the Word of Wisdom stands at the head of these gifts and followed by the Word of Knowledge. And these are gifts, as we saw, to understand the deep things of God and impart them to others. It's the Spirit-given apprehension, of the truth of God, a very broad way in all its phases, uh, the power to communicate this truth to the others, the power to know the beginning and the end, to understand what you should do in a particular situation. The Lord has gifted the church. Paul places them right at the prominent point. These were much less important in the Corinthian church. Paul starts with them. I'm sure those are not exciting to uh, the Corinthian believers. Probably not exciting to charismatic brothers as well. That's not as important, perhaps, as being able to speak in tongues and do miracles. But Paul says here's the thing. These are the most important. He just starts with them. Now, as Paul tells them these things, you know, Spirit gives the apprehension of the truth of God in, these, in word of wisdom and word of knowledge. And, and even though those are so important, we even see in 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen that they're going to be replaced by faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those is love. And so even those prominent gifts that build up the church and edify believers and help them to be strengthened and to grow, even those are going to be replaced eventually. So on the other side, then, we, we understand that the gift of healing and the work of miracles were temporary sign gifts for the launch of the church age if you will. And there is no indication, beloved, that these miraculous gifts were to continue in the church throughout the age. And church history indicates that they did cease, and we're going to look at this more later. But Chrysostom, a fourth century theologian, testified, here's what he says, okay, this is fourth century, he says, they had ceased so long before his time that no one was certain of their characteristics. So here, we're just in the fourth century, you have a theologian saying, you know, here's these sign gifts, we don't even really know what they even look like. And so we understand that they did cease. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13 that the Lord said that they would cease. Paul indicated they were going to cease. We see through her history that they actually did cease. Ephesians, written about five years after 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul lists speaking gifts. In Ephesians 4, the best possible setup for the church to flourish. But he doesn't mention tongues, interpretation of tongues, or works of miracles at all. He says this is how the church is going to flourish. This is how the church will be built up. This is how it will resemble the, the actual body of Christ, Christ himself working in the, in the community and amongst yourselves. He doesn't mention any of those, those uh, temporary sign gifts. In Galatians, written about five years earlier than his letters to the Corinthians, he gives a marvelous list of works of the Spirit in the believer's life, no mention of temporary sign gifts at all. So we don't see in Scripture a promise in the Word that these extraordinary gifts are to be restored by the Spirit of God to the church before the Lord comes for his saints. We see no indication of that whatsoever. Joel 2 seems to indicate that, that some of these miraculous gifts will return, but as you read the text and the context of the, of the text, it would indicate the return would be during the tribulation period. If you look at the way the sun is darkened and fall, the stars fall from the sky, those kinds of things, if that's the time stamp, then we've got to look at uh, the time of the tribulation as a return of some of those gifts and not during the church age. So in light of these things, in light of the questions we can ask and answer from the word, namely, and we saw these last time, can it be shown that the original purpose of temporary sign gifts no longer exists today? And I think with just a few of the verses we looked at, we were just barely scratching the surface. I believe we we're able to show that the answer to that is yes. And the second question, can it be shown that the way the temporary sign gifts are manifested today does not match the way these gifts were manifested at the time of the early church? Once again, from the word, I think that we uh, can answer yes, that's true. So then in light of the things we've seen so far and the answers to those questions, Anything, now here's the thing, anything which claims to be a restoration of miraculous gifts, as in the case of some of the charismatic churches, has to fall under the same evaluation that Paul gave the church in Corinth. I mean, that's only fair, correct? I mean, we've got to use the same evaluation. We have to look at it the same exact way. Who's being edified? What's happening? Whose name is being magnified? What's going on in the actual occurrence of it? Is it ecstatic speech? Does it look like it did in pagan temples? Or does it look like something the Lord has given? He's going to explain how this is going to work. So I think if anybody who claims, okay, these miraculous gifts have been restored, you have to come under the same examination that Paul gave the early church. And there were some serious problems in Paul's time, and there are, I will say, some serious problems now. And as we said, we don't see anything in the New Testament that would indicate a restoration of those sign gifts, but what we do see many times, beloved, it's plenty of warnings that near the end of the age there will be false prophets who will perform miracles and prophecy and cast out demons in Jesus' name, Matthew 7, Matthew 24, 11, uh, at 2 Corinthians 2, 9. I mean, there's just a number of places that say watch out because towards the end of the age, these things will occur. Obviously, false manifestations of these miraculous gifts. So, while we're teaching about this, remember, the exercise of the gift of healing and similar gifts was never discretional. Need you to catch that. It was never discretional. The people who were able to do it were surprised by the gift. Okay? Paul said, you know, did some of these things and then kept them from worshiping him. You think somehow by our power we did this, we, like we called this to play? No. And as Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, I'm going to give you power over X, X, and X. And they go out and they do it. They're surprised at what's happening. They come back. And Jesus takes them aside and talks to them about all the ministry that they did verifying the messenger, verifying the ministry verifying the church, all these things. They were never discretional. They were manifested only in certain circumstances so that the message and the messenger would be verified. For instance, if Trophimus was sick, the wish of Paul could not restore him. Now, if Paul can't even discretionally call upon the gift of miracles to to restore whoever he wished, why would we in any way think that somehow that could be done today? And beloved, Paul himself had physical issues and no one healed him, and no one could heal him. And he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord didn't even heal him. So it was never discretional, okay? So the power to do that wasn't available at the wish of the healer. And so when Paul finally addresses the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues with the church, he addresses it as it's being used in the worst possible way. They were esteeming the gift of tongues as the highest possible expression of gifts, because it exalted the speaker. And Paul has to address this messed up version of what the Lord had given initially to verify the message and be assigned to the Jews. And so you get back to these questions, you just think, of course it's not being used in the same way. The original purpose is gone. Of course that's the case. It just seems very very fuzzy out there. I want to make sure that there's no fuzzy logic for us, that we, we understand what the scripture has said and what we can understand about what's going on and we can interpret that correctly. People will often say to me, well, what do you think's going on? in the Charismatic Church, in the Pentecostal Holiness Church, most of the time I'll say, you probably don't want to know the answer to that, particularly if that's your background. Because many people come and they say, well, I've experienced X and I saw this and, you know, this has happened right before me. And I'll say, well, the way I understand the New Testament and as Paul has taught the Corinthian church, there were lots of false manifestations of, of sign gifts. And they weren't being done by the Lord or by the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, listen, you can tell it's not being done by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit. So who else is doing it, beloved? See, delusional spirits, deceptions, those things are still active. I think even more active today than they were even in Paul's time. So, getting back to verse 9. Now we see we've laid this foundation. Again, I, I apologize for throwing up a lot of sand, getting moving, okay? Just kind of the way it is when we look at spiritual gifts. But Paul's going to address these gifts of the Spirit, and, and he's going to do that perhaps in reversed order. Catch this the reverse order of the way the Corinthian church would esteem them. So he starts with the less esteemed and moves then to the most esteemed greater to the lesser now look if you would in verse 9 to another faith by the same spirit now when you look at faith of course the complexity here is that whereas faith is a characteristic of all christians that we know hebrews eleven six. 6 That without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that that faith is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. And and those of the faith are simply being referred to as believers in the gospel. An even closer look at our topic here, and and even closer to what we're talking about. All have been given gifts of the Spirit, exercise them according to faith, Romans 12.6. And so we see faith uh, with no difficulty as being a gift. All faith must be seen as God's gift to us. But here's the thing because Paul uses the term after the adjective hetero, which is another, to another faith, I think we need to see this and understand this to mean a different one from the previous one. And because he's going through special gifts given to the church, it's apart from the faith that we understand as a part of the regular active life of a believer. It's a special gift of faith. So the understanding must be that Paul's referring to a special faith over and apart from the faith that all believers have. So Paul is limiting it to a certain group, who have this special gift. I think a good illustration of the type of gift Paul speaks about is found really in the next chapter as he makes a point of how the gifts are administered. First Corinthians 13, 2, Paul says this: He says, If I have the gift of prophecy, that so that would be a special gift of prophecy. We'll look at that shortly. I know and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so once again, he's just going through spiritual gifts. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Uh, so that all faith, that's not just saving faith, that's not just faith as the fruit of the Spirit, that's not just faith that's, without which it's impossible to please God. This is the full gift of faith, I think Paul is talking about. The spiritual gift of faith, taking God at his word. Jesus talks to them, he says this to his disciples, he says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and be cast into the sea, it will happen. Verse 22, in all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I need to deal with another false doctrine, and that's the word of faith, and this is not it, okay? When you see uh, this, this uh, idea here that all things you ask in prayer, believing, you'll receive, this is not the word of faith teaching prevalent today that has been around since about the mid-19th century. Again, it's a perversion of the spiritual gifts. Uh, when you see it on television, these false teachers are really basing their false doctrine on the idea of the force of faith. And just to give you kind of an overview of this, this is an unbiblical view of faith, and it's the foundation of the word of faith theology. People who embrace it would say that they can use words to manipulate the faith force, if you will, and this actually creates what they believe Scripture promises, health, wealth, etc., whatever it happens to be. They're basing this on a false doctrine of the law supposedly governing faith force, laws that the Lord set up. This faith, and now he becomes subject to those laws. So he, not even in God's sovereignty, can he say, "Okay, if you pray to faith, I'm going to say no." Faith force says, "God set up faith. God said, you know, Christ said, you know, all things you ask in prayer, believing, you'll receive." So God is governed then somehow by this faith force, and so if we pray it, then it's going to happen because God's governed by this faith, and we have the faith, and so it's going to happen. So this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, in James chapter four, verse three, really is more what. Um, uh, what I think this false faith is made up of, a word of faith. James 4.3 says, You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So although the gift, like many others, has been perverted, it's indeed a gift of marvelous and proportions. And, and the, special, uh, this gift, the special gift of faith is very, very important. Here, I'll just put a definition up here for you. to kind of help you grasp it. It's a marvelous uh, thought. Here it is. A consistent, enabling faith... That truly believes God in the face of overwhelming obstacle and human impossibility. Have you ever met anybody like that? I I know a few people like that in my life. It appears to be a special endowment of confidence in God and his promises, which enables the possessor to lay hold on God and accomplish some great things. They just believe God and pray in his will according to his will, and there's no doubting whatsoever in their mind. It's very encouraging to the church. This, This type of gift is super encouraging to the church. It appears to be a serving gift, that's a designation, again, we gleaned from 1 Peter 4. It, um, I believe that it is uh, not necessarily a speaking gift, but I think sometimes it's expressed in speaking most effectively in prayer. I think sometimes we hear that in prayer, people vocalizing what they know God uh, can do, with very strong convictions that he's able to do that. So it would fall into the category of a permanent edifying gift, again, in the church early on, still in the church, encouraging the church today. Uh, again, gifts the Holy Spirit gave for the building up of the church, the gift was prevalent in the early church, still active today in the church. People with a special gift help the church move forward in faith. They become those anchors, they become those encouragements uh, to say, okay, we, we know this is what the Lord, we appear, this appears to be the direction the Lord's taking us, let's move forward, let's step forward in faith. According to 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is one of the three things that the Holy Spirit tells Paul will abide. And we know eventually that faith will become sight. But it's a marvelous gift. It's been perverted all over the place. It's perverted constantly now. But Paul names it as a gift of the Spirit. We certainly see it uh, and have certainly some experience with it in the church when it's used correctly. Now let's look back again at verse 9. Back again at verse 9. To another, he says, the gifts of healings by the one Spirit. Now once again, a wide variety of gifts displayed here, working one will, just like we saw earlier in the passage. Healing. E-amaton, Greek noun. It's a remedy or a, a means of cure for various kinds of ailments and diseases. We see it, it's a serving gift, certainly. Uh, it would also fall into the category of temporary sign gift. And again, you know, temporary sign gift, gifts that were given to confirm the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. And as a sign to the Jews, these are gifts referred to as temporary. They were prevalent in the early church, ceased to be evident as the church became established. they referred to as sign gifts. They're visible signs then. To, it prophesied, it's going to reveal the Jewish rejection of the Messiah. They're visible verifications that attested to the salvation of the Gentiles, confirmed their acceptance into the church. Jesus said, you know, if you don't believe my word, believe the things that I've done, the healings I've done, the miracles I've done, he raised the dead, those kinds of things. So just as a footnote now, and I think it's very appropriate that we saw it. I was reading the news uh, today they actually on thursday there's a set called the followers of christ in idaho maybe you caught this on the news um, about 2,000 in the group they are word of faith people they're under big trouble they're in big trouble now there's a section of them in oregon but they're in a big trouble now because the laws of idaho 1972 were set up to not prosecute those who were word of faith healers if they didn't take care of their children and take them to the doctor so they felt it was an infringement of their religious rights. If the state forced them to, if your child was really sick or needed surgery, you wouldn't take them to the doctor. you just try to heal them by word of faith. And so they've had a lot of problems. They had 10 times the mortality rate uh, of the national average in this sect. And so it just a whole bunch of problems going on. I just thought, you know, that's very interesting. Once again, a group of people who feel that the sign gift is still active for today, a group of people who feel that's discretionary, that somehow you can call that down, and you can say, okay, Lord, you're bound by these words of faith that you've set up, and, and we can heal by faith. And so we see this active even today. Oregon now in 2013 uh, rejected all those, uh, took all those laws off the books. They can prosecute parents. If your child is born with a hole in his heart, this, this, what brought the, the thing all to the forefront is a 20-year-old young lady who wants to sue her parents and have them prosecuted because she was born with a congenital heart defect. It should have been corrected when she was young. Her parents, of course, were of faith people, laid, her hand, laid hands on her. Now she needs a heart-lung transplant. She's 20. Her quality of life is very, very low, and she feels like her parents abused her. And so you see this going on. It just brings... It just brings shame to the name of Christ, because they're called the followers of Christ. It makes them look like lunatics. And once again, it's just uh, a misunderstanding of what the scripture says, what Paul has put down, and how it's supposed to move, and the things that are supposed to happen, and things that are supposed to cease. And so uh, there's this this, temporary sign gift, a gift of healing, and once again, never discretional, manifested only in certain circumstances so that the message and the messenger would be verified. Healing, remember, as we see it in, in uh, the early church, healing in the establishment of the church, healing was instantaneous, you know, immediately cleansed, uh, you know, complete and permanent. You know, Mar- Matthew 14, 36, as many as touched Jesus' cloak were healed. Uh, healing, blindness, a healing para- paralysis, other things. You know, Matthew 10:1, Jesus summons his twelve disciples, he gives them authority, he sends them out. And they, they can heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Healing was unconditional. It didn't depend on the faith of the one being healed. It didn't depend on the faith of the healer. Okay, it was, those were empowered. people were empowered to do this by the Lord, to verify the message, verify the messenger. Uh, Jesus in Luke 10, 8, he says this. He says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, verse 9, heal those in it who are sick. So whole sections of, of Israel are being healed, whole areas. Probably temporarily during Jesus' time on earth, and his three-year ministry. He didn't heal all the way through his ministry, by the way. He didn't do miracles all the way through his ministry. He just did them at the beginning of that three-year ministry. Remember? What was his first miracle that he did, Jesus? Changed the water to wine, right? That, w- that wasn't to make the party better. Okay, That was to confirm that he was beginning that act of ministry. So Jesus sends them out. There's probably whole sections of Israel that are disease-free temporarily. And so they're healing people, and and they're to tell them as it's going on, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 10 says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But the miracles verified the messenger, and they verified the message. And if you, th- you think about the gifts and its use, the original purpose is no longer required today. Since we have the completed scripture, the message no longer needs to be validated from God, the office of the apostle has passed away, therefore these gifts are not, no longer required to attest to their authority. And the way the sign gifts are manifested today does not match the way they were manifested at the time of the early church we don't have unconditional complete permanent instantaneous healing we don't see blindness paralysis other conditions like this being healed we don't see entire cities and regions being delivered from sickness and disease we don't uh, we we see people now claiming this gift on demand we don't see anything like that in the scripture james 5:14 helps us make that transition i think from from the early church to the current practice in the church. And that's the important thing as we see Paul addressing the churches, we're seeing what happened early on that confirmed the church, confirmed the messenger, confirmed the apostles. And now we move into the practice of the church. In James 5.14, he says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And here's the thing. This, this kind of uh, direction centers around sickness that can be as a result of sin. If you see the whole context, it's not some kind of discretional healing power that the elders are going to have. I've participated in this numerous times. I have no power in and of myself, and I'm not saying that I'm going to get it uh, discretionally as we get to some person's house. The issue is really... It centers around sickness that may be as a result of sin. And an accountability and a transparency is established where the Lord may provide healing amongst believers. Confessing your sins to each other, asking for prayer if you're sick. These are things that the Lord says, this is what we're going to do. The Lord can still certainly heal at His discretion and when He wishes. And many of you probably have seen Him do just that. But it all centers on prayer. It all centers on trusting the Lord that He knows what's best, and on accountability and a mutual transparency. So that the sins that are going on, perhaps, in the background, uh, that can be uh, rectified. And then because of the rectification of that sin, those sin issues, some healing can be accomplished. So, now look with me, if, we, if you will, at verse 10. Paul says, Another gifts of healing by one spirit. And then he says, verse 10, And to another, the effect of a miracle. So again... Looking at another, so we're moving from spiritual gift to spiritual gift. That word affecting, energemata, it's a noun, you can translate it, deed, it's where we get a word energy from. Uh, Miracles, dunamion, that's a noun, translated strength or power, it's where we get a word dynamite. So it's an interesting translation, but it was understood by the early church as the workings of deeds of power, contrary to nature. So somehow, there's a miracle going on, it's a deed of power, the Lord's doing it, it's contrary to nature, the sole purpose of it was to display the power of God. It's a serving gift, again, it would also fall into the category of a temporary sign gift. It would include the raising of the dead, it would include turning water into wine, feeding of the thousands, quieting of the storm, walking on water, Um, Jesus' resurrection and ascension certainly, it could include the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira in the early church. It appears that Paul's actions in Acts 13.8 perhaps would qualify as well. I'll just read that for you. It's a great illustration of, of that going on as the early church is established. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Paul's busy uh, witnessing. You've got a guy that uh, is a magician, and he's doing his best to interfere. irritates Paul to no end. So verse 9, Paul, uh, but Saul, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit fixes his gaze on him verse 10 and said you who are full of all deceit and fraud you son of the devil you enemy of all righteousness will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord so in other words stop it stop with all your language stop with all your interfering I'm talking to the pro-council you're just giving in a bunch of gibberish and things that don't make any difference just making the way crooked and I'm tired of you doing that and of course the Lord uh, comes on Paul, gives him an opportunity, and just verifies again Paul as the messenger and the message Paul is giving to the proconsul. So verse eleven says this: Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Now catch this: Okay, it verified the message and the messenger. Verse twelve: What's it say? Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So again, here's an early witness, early in the church. There's this, this act of divine power that's going on. There's no other way to explain it. It's just simply the Lord at work. And Paul is verified. The message is verified. Procounsel comes to faith. Now, there was a reason for these sign gifts. It verified Jesus' message and person, it verified the apostles and their message. Jesus' miracles uh, began when his ministry began. He gave his the disciples power when their ministry began to verify and confirm what was happening. That it could only be from God. Now catch this. The signs were so significant, beloved, that they'll also be a basis for judgment for those in that first century who did not believe. They were significant. Uh, they were for a temporary time. But Matthew 11:20, Jesus talks about the places where some of these sign gifts happened. They were important. They were for a short time. They verified the message. They verified the messenger. And Jesus says this, he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And Jesus would know this, wouldn't he? He understood the hearts of men. Verse 22, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? He'll descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So the miracles were significant. They weren't at the discretion in any way of the messenger. They were to verify the messenger, verify the message. They weren't discretionary. And we see a number of places where they're counterfeited in the early church as well as later. In fact, once again, as I, as I point out to you, any, any, any organization that says, okay, there's been a restoration of these miraculous gifts, they fall under a very close examination and I think uh, creates some serious concern because we don't see any place in the scripture where it says, hey, these are going to be restored. Any indication of that until certainly during the tribulation period. But Matthew seven fifteen, 15, here's uh, again, Jesus is speaking. He says, beware of the false prophets Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, I think we can pull up a couple names at that point, right? If you just kind of surf through the religious section of cable, it wouldn't take you long to pull up a few names, okay? Come to you in sheep's clothing, inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Verse 17, so every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. And you know what? With these false prophets, it doesn't seem to matter what what they do, does it? It doesn't seem to matter what kind of mess-ups they have. It doesn't matter what goes on in their background, what the history of their ministry may be, or what's been revealed over the course of time. It just doesn't seem to even slow them down at all because people are deceived, aren't they? And they're coming, it, it appears, in uh, sheep's clothing, but they're really in, inwardly ravenous, ravenous wolves. A good tree cannot bear, produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you'll know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, catch this, beloved, Lord, Lord, did we not, hear it is, prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name what? Perform many miracles so all along the church age jesus warns this he says listen many are going to come and they're going to be in sheep's clothing but they were inside the ravenous wolves and you're going to be able to tell what's going on by their deeds now only only those who are born again are going to be able to tell because you have a resident holy spirit that can discern that for you if you're if you're not born again or you're you're a very immature believer you're going to follow right along it's possible we're going to see that even the perhaps to uh deceive even the elect So many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. Verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All throughout the church age, Jesus warns. This is the case. This is going to be what's going to happen then we get to the end of the age and we're warned again so all throughout the church age and you come up to the end of the age matthew 24 24 for false christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible if possible even the elect so it's going to be very deceptive and look very convincing but not be able to deceive the elect those who are truly born again but jesus says listen throughout the church age that's going to be the case and at the end of the age that's going to be the case so I can say again, as I did before, we're out of time. Listen, we're going through these things because this is where we are in our study. And we go verse by verse, and when we get to the next portion of the letter, we just dig into it, okay? So I'm not taking anybody on, I'm not like, okay, this was in the news, now I'm gonna do this, or you know, I saw some certain thing, and, and now you know, I need to react to it. It's not, it's not that, it's just simply this. This is where we are in the teaching. So we just deal with it. And I, but I think it's very relevant for today. And although I'm not pointing out names, and naming names, and all that stuff, I think if you have the basis, if you understand where the foundation is and what the indications of Scripture are, then you can easily say, as you look at these things that are going on, you can say, okay, this cannot be the way it's supposed to be. And so there's some deception going on there. There's, some, there's deceit. There's, there's uh, people who are doing things that are being empowered by someone other than the Holy Spirit. And, and once again, just because some of these things appear to be happening now and just because they're popular and people are flocking to them, that alone does not verify them. And I believe the closer we get to the rapture, the more we're going to see counterfeit gifts on display in the church. Satan knows his time is short. I think that's very we see that very active in the church today. And the more popular these false gifts will be. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. I think Jesus, if Jesus could speak to it again, he would speak to it. Uh, and he does from his word. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up testing Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Very common. Question they would ask, even though he'd already, he'd already just, uh, displayed so many signs and miracles, he'd already given power to his disciples. It was obvious what was going on, but they want a sign from him. They want something right in front of them, on demand. Okay, I want you to do it right now. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And verse 3, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearances of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? In other words, you you have so much knowledge, you understand the way things are going in the day that you live, but you don't understand what's going on around you. So Jesus just says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's pretty important words, I think, isn't it? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the sign of Jonah was what, beloved? Death and resurrection of Christ, right? That's what it's going to be. And it happened, didn't it? There's your sign. As Jim said earlier today, resurrection of Christ. Verified everything that he said, didn't it? From the greater to the lesser. Jesus says the sign gifts are actually a judgment on you. You can see all that's going on. You can discern the weather. You can discern what's going on in the the marketplace. You can discern all that kind of stuff. Signs are actually a judgment to you. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that's looking after a sign. What was the original reason for the sign gifts? As judgment. To verify a, a message in a messenger, even though it should have been clear. You think you know all that stuff, you can't discern the Messiah here. Sign gifts are very popular today. I believe Paul's warning uh, the counterfeit gifts in Corinth are very valid for the modern church, particularly in the charismatic holiness movement. So, We'll close right there so we can get through a couple of announcements. We'll jump back in next time. And allow the Lord to teach us by his word and by his Holy Spirit. Yes, bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for time in your word. Thank you for the richness of it. We thank you for uh, things that we can discern, that you give us understanding about. Not that so we can be judgmental, but so that we can understand and discern what's going on. And Lord, I pray that you uh, much much uh, disillusionment, much uh heartbreak going on in many of these movements that have uh, these things active, for there are many who feel uh, somehow they must not be spiritual enough, they can't call these things into play in their own life, and wondering what's going on, and they see these things happening around them, and they're confused, and they wonder how they, how could this be from you, just just like the Corinthian church, and so Father, I pray that you give us understanding as we uh, go through these sections of scripture, discernment, wisdom, knowledge of your word, and application of that knowledge, and in uh, knowing which way we should go, Lord, I thank you for uh, the the way that this will work in our own heart and in the heart of your church. I pray that uh, we'll be drawn closer to you by your care for us, by the way that you give the gifts, and and how you know what we need and the age that we need it. And so we give you praise for all these things. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our security in Christ. We thank you for the works of the ministry that we are enabled to do by the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that that will really be what we take out today as we understand these gifts, the ones that are are permanent edifying gifts, that we might put them to work. We are a steward of those things, and we are a debtor to others in the church as we have these gifts uh, to put them into play. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us uh, to find uh, those ministries because of the people you have here that you'd have us be involved in and then get involved in them for your own glory. To make your Son look glorious, make your Holy Spirit look active. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.